0: Well, this is going to be our last message in Paul's letter to the Galatians. I hope you've enjoyed this study. I have enjoyed this letter. It's been uh, vital to my life, to our lives as a church. He's given his final thoughts here, and we remember his thoughts are not just whims. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And in his conclusion, he summarizes the main points of his letter, he emphasizes the cross in this Magna Carta of freedom. If you did not receive a worship guide when you came in and you need one, just raise your hand. And Lauren is right there. He is ready to go. So if you need one, anybody? Everybody's got one? Excellent. All right, thank you. Paul's closing thoughts here. And he's given a closing argument. What is it that saves a person? Are we saved by works? by something we do or are we saved by grace that which God has done are we perpetually trying to earn standing and status and acceptance or on the basis of what God has done are we received accepted in the beloved adopted the question for us this morning As this letter comes to a close for us, it's not, well, what did the Galatians do? How did they respond in all of these churches? It ends a little bit like the book of Jonah ends. Well, what did Jonah do? The point is not what did Jonah do. The point for us in scripture is, now what will we do? What should we do? How should we respond? What is right and what is righteous? And how we respond today, and God willing for the rest of our lives. We're seeing four right responses to Paul's closing words of grace. Last week we looked at verse 11 and we saw here's a right response. Look closely at the letter. And Paul wrote, See, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Paul personally took up the pen to highlight and emphasize a few very important truths that cannot be overlooked by the churches. His signature is all of grace. So we saw that his letter is authentic. This letter is important. We ought to pay attention to it. And his conclusion reaffirms their relationship that he is through this letter that, that he wrote to them and by him taking up the pen and signing it, in, in, if you will, so that it's legitimate. This is his writing. It's authentic. It's not forged. And they needed to listen. And he affirms his relationship to them that they're part of this family. This message must be embraced for life. Secondly, we saw in verses 12 and 13, we need to listen to the warning. Listen carefully to the warning. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross, the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. All right, keep that in mind. They're going to boast in your flesh, in their accomplishment by getting you to go their way. They want to boast in your flesh. So we saw last week, beware. Beware. Beware of the religious facade, that external, the show, the religious external, the outward. It's a facade. It's it's not the supporting walls. It's just an appearance. And that was the warning that we're listening to. Beware. Watch out. There's a facade. And that letter B last week was there's legalism that changes people by force. All right, so there's the external and then legalism comes in and it, it commands people, everybody will do things my way. That's what Paul did before he became a follower of Christ. He persecuted people. Religious legalism is driven by fear and Paul exposed their underlying motive. They didn't want to be persecuted. They didn't want to suffer. And all they had to do to avoid suffering... All that has to happen in all of these places where Afan is and missionaries on the front line, just stop talking about the cross. Don't tell people about Jesus is the only way. You can say, Jesus, peace be upon him, he's a good prophet, but as soon as you elevate him to the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, that he died as a human being, as a man of God, a human, 100% man, 100% God, and you say he died, was buried, and rose again, now we have a problem, and you will lose everything if we find out about it. All he has to do to not scramble people's pictures is ignore the cross. And Paul said, no way. I'm not going to skip out on this suffering because religious legalism is fundamentally flawed. We saw that in verse 13. He's saying they're preaching to you a message. They can't live up to half to half of it. They're telling you to keep the law of God, they can't keep the law of God. They can't even keep their own law. So it's not being it's not being authentic, it's not genuine, it's fundamentally flawed. It's not saving. Though they may be sincere. Religious legalism boasts about its followers, focusing on all the change that they brought about but the gospel changes us from the inside out. So this morning we see our third response that is right and righteous is lift exclusively up the cross, lift up the cross, lift exclusively up the cross. And we see in verse 14 and verse 15, Paul says, but, okay, so they want to boast in your flesh. Paul says, I want to boast too. I want to boast about something as well, but I'm not going to boast about your flesh, your deeds, what I've done, what you've done, what we haven't done. No, no, no. He says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but here's what counts for everything, a new creation. That's what matters. We will either glory in the flesh, beloved, or we will glory in the cross, but we cannot make much of both. I can boast about how great I am and boast in the cross of Christ simultaneously. Boasting in the flesh comes naturally. It's easy. If you're born into wealth, if you're born into talent, if you're born into intellectual smarts, if you're born on the right side of the tracks, If you're born with athletic ability that other people can't, it just comes naturally to do things other people can't do and to be, hey, look at me. Look at what I did. It's awesome. No one has to teach someone that move on a field. Score a touchdown, pulling eight massive guys across a line. They don't have to stand up and they, they, it just comes out of us. Yeah. Like all of that aggression, all of that frustration, all of those days in the gym, working out. And now the talent and the ability, it all comes together, cross the line. And there it is before all the world watching. Look at me. Right? That's natural. To boast in the cross, that's supernatural. And Paul says, that's where my boast is. It's in the cross of Christ. So if we're going to lift exclusively up the cross, then we need to keep the position of the cross as central. That's what Paul is aiming for. If we're going to focus, if we're going to lift high the cross, then it must be central. It's position, and it's not just for our church, It's for our lives, personally, individually. The position of the cross of Christ must be central. Paul says, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our full title here, Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we'll boast. You see, the message of the cross is either a stench of shame or it's a fragrance of grace. Now, would you wonder if you went to, you know, whatever, a college graduation and the keynote speaker, the commencement speaker, if they walked out on the stage and outside of all the pomp and circumstance and robes and all that, if they had hanging around them, you know, like Flavor Flav, wasn't he used to have the, the big clock, you know? If, if hanging around their neck was an electric chair that everybody could see, Would you be listening carefully to this person? You would immediately think, what is wrong with them? Like, what are they against? What is the matter with them? That's not something to break. Meanwhile, back on the farm, how many of us have a gold chain, a cross, and a beautiful cross? That's 21st century. That's not 1st century. And we're going to see this as Paul says, I'm going, to, I'm going to focus, I'm going to boast, I'm going to brag, I'm going to have pride in the cross. The cross in the first century was a symbol of shame. It symbolized weakness. It symbolized condemnation. Thousands were put to death on a cross, not just Jesus thousands of people. This is what Rome did to say, you cross us, this is where, what you have to look forward to. So don't mess with us. And they would lift people up by the thousands throughout the empire. The Jewish people had a long understanding of the repugnancy of the cross, of being hanged on a tree, Deuteronomy 21 Verses twenty-two and twenty-three. It says in the Old Testament, "And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is to put, is he, he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You think about." what their understanding was about the cross, about being hanged, about being suspended between heaven and earth. And the Jewish people would say, rightly, how would we, why would we put our trust in someone cursed by God? Follow that person? You gotta be out of your mind. That's crazy, but then in Galatians 3:13, Paul puts these things together. Christ redeemed us, he writes, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. That's why he had to die. For it is written, and here he quotes Deuteronomy cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So it's not an accident that Jesus was crucified. This was the plan before anything was ever created. This was God's plan of redemption. This was his method of showing how serious our sin is and how much he loves us. So that Jesus would say in John 3, Verses 14 and 15 to Nicodemus, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Why? Why was he lifted up to die? Why was he crucified? Why was Jesus cursed by the Father? So that we might believe. So that we might have life that never ends. So this stench of shame... This vile cross. We've fashioned it up and people have crosses and they put them on their vehicles and remembering someone and military and there's crosses, but it's, it's lost its edge in many people's minds and hearts. It was a symbol of shame. Paul emphasized the cross. Go with me to Corinthians just back to your, in your Bibles to the left just a little bit. First Corinthians chapter 1. When he came to Corinth, he came with no frills. He came with really one purpose and it was to preach the cross. It's our only hope. And it says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18 that Paul said, for the word... Your Bible might say the message of the cross is folly or foolishness, it's stupid. It's beneath us. Do you know who we are? Do you know how many degrees I have? Do you know how much I'm worth? you see my trophy case? I mean, come on. How stupid is this? We're sitting here in 20, you know, 20. And the guy's standing up there saying, That 2,000 years ago, a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth was hung on a Roman cross and you're telling me my whole life and eternity depends on what I do in response to him? It's either the stupidest message ever or it's the message in truth that we are all accountable for how we respond to this message. So Paul says, I'm coming into Corinth and I had one message and it was the message of the cross. The word of the cross and its folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. He's saying if it was a guitar, I have one string and that's it. It's the gospel. It's the cross. If I'm playing a horn, it has one note. It's the cross. Play something different. No. No. Tell us more how we can have our best life now. And, and, you know, no, it's the cross. And once you fall and kneel at the cross, now you know how to walk in relationship filled by the Spirit of God. Now everything makes sense. Now we walk by faith. Look at chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2. And when I came, I came to you brothers. All right, there he is putting his arm around. I love you. You troublemakers, you mess of a church, right? You brothers, I did not come to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, my speech and my message were not plausible in words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that, here's the purpose clause, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men. The latest book, the latest video, the latest up-and-coming superstar speaker. Uh-uh. No, no. But in the power of God. God. Because all of our power and ability and might and faculties, beloved, listen, every single person I'm looking at this morning and you're looking at a guy that one day all of that will run out. And I'll have to help you walk and you'll have to help me walk. You'll have to push me in a chair. I might have to push you in a chair. It's coming. I might forget everything about everything except I don't have to worry about being forgotten by God. Because it's the power of God that has saved me, not what I've done and have to keep doing. And oh dear Lord, if I drop one of the Ten Commandments, <gasps> I've dropped them my whole life. But He will not drop me because He saved me. He's adopted me, He's forgiven me. John Stott says it this way He says, if preachers preach Christ crucified, they are opposed. They are ridiculed, and they are persecuted because of the wounds they inflict, they afflict on men's pride. Did you come here to get your pride afflicted today? Because that's what the gospel does. It shows us how much we hang on to reputation. We hang on to controlling all the situations and people around us. There are more ways than we have time to unpack how much we think we are in control. There's one who is sovereign and in control of all people, all events, over all kingdoms and times, and it is the Lord. Do you know him? All the place... The position of the cross must be central. The power of the cross, Paul is saying here, is lethal. The power of the cross is lethal. It's deadly. The cross kills. He says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Think about this hymn. Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross... On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain. Okay, everyone here, you have things that are important to you, that you've done, that you've accomplished. My richest, my best, my richest gain, I count but loss. Like th- these are monumental words that we often sing and I don't know if the gravity of them really get us. I count but loss And beyond that, pour contempt on all my pride. Okay, when you stand by the foot of the cross and you boast in your own rights, it doesn't make sense. My pride, pour contempt on my pride. If somebody says something offensive about you, is it worse than how you really are? Is it worse than how I really am? So pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, next verse, that I should boast, saving the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most. Now think about this. There's a lot that can go into this category. What I've been just been talking about, your reputation, what people think about you, what they say about you, where you live, athletics, sports, reputation, your job, your family, where you live, what you drive. This can go endless and it's different for everyone here. But think about this, all the vain things that charm me most, here's where they go. I sacrifice them all to the blood of Christ. I found something more valuable than chasing after all of the things that are passing and fleeting. Next, next verse, see from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled Down. Just think about the poetry in those words. See? Look, look. From his head, his hands, his feet. It's not just blood. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Last verse were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small love so amazing so divine demands my soul my life my all this is what it is for the cross to be central in our life this is what it is as we're planning our calendars as families is the cross central in our lives When you're working out your family budgets and where you spend your money, does does it show that the cross is central in your life? When we come to serving together in the body of Christ, does it show that the cross is central? The cross is central to everything that you're thinking, everything that you are, every place that you should be, should go, should not go. It all comes back to the cross. Think about the cross. The power of the cross is lethal. John Stott says it this way He says, We need to visit Calvary. It is there at the cross we shrink to our true size. We're never going to get away from the cross. This isn't in, you know, the, the freshman orientation. Done with that. This is, this is everything to Christians. And even to those who don't know the cross, it's everything to them. It's a fragrance of grace. The Judaizers were running from the cross and Paul said, not me, I'm running to the cross. Billy Graham said it this way. He says, The cross shows us the seriousness of our sin, but it also shows us the immeasurable love of God. Our sin is serious. Jesus had to die. It's no laughing matter. When someone does you wrong, you want justice. What about when you do wrong? What about when I do wrong? There has to be justice. And we often can say, well, justice, you know, against them. Let's just overlook me. You know, we're, well, we were driving somewhere the other, night, uh, the other night in a parking lot. Some guy in his truck that's nine times the size of my, you know, my vehicle. And he's just upset. And Sophie's learning how to drive. And he's, you know, smoke rolling. And he's just making a point. Somebody makes the comment, where's the police when you need them, you know? We can easily identify, there, get them, they're wrong. And then when we break the law, like, I hope no one's watching. It did roll through that stop a little bit too much, right? The power of the cross is lethal. Paul says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The cross was an instrument of death. It was brutal. It was worse than the electric chair. Carrying the cross, beloved, was a one-way trip. It wasn't a run... It wasn't a round trip. If you're carrying your cross, somebody else is carrying it back down the hill, except for one individual, and that's Jesus. It's by the cross the world is crucified to the Christian and the Christian to the world. Paul isn't saying the world is crucified. He says the world is crucified to me. Something has captured my heart better and longer lasting and more fulfilling than anything this world has to offer. It's the cross of Christ. It's the gospel. That through the gospel, we see through lenses and we're able to see life and we're able to see death and time and eternity. That's how we're able to see it accurately. Paul highlighted what happened to him in Galatians 2.20 that he's crucified with Christ. And yet I live. Christ lives in me. The cross was the central part of Jesus' call to discipleship. In Matthew, Jesus told his disciples, he says this, and it comes up on the screen, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And here's what discipleship is. Follow me. If you're here today and you're weighing out, maybe you were brought up in religion or you weren't brought up in religion and you're, you're wondering, what does Christ expect of me? What does God want from me? What is his claim on my life? And is it particular to this church? And if I was in another church and what what is the message? Here's the message of scripture. This is what Jesus is saying to everyone. And he says it to those, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He's saying, take up your death. You have to die to you and live to me. And so the, 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 the normal question, the right thought would be, why? Who are you? Who are you to tell me to take up my death and follow you? Why should I listen to you? I mean, if, if somebody passes you on the road this afternoon, like, "Hey, baby, baby, follow me, going to die." No thanks. No, that's all right. I'm not going your way. You have to ask the question: Who are you? Why? That doesn't sound normal. It doesn't sound right or even good, or wise. And Jesus could say, I'm glad you asked. Here's why. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, that Saul of Tarsus met Jesus alive from the dead, resurrected, and he lost his whole life in Judaism. He lost all of his family relationships. He lost everything that he had worked his whole life for, and he found Christ. Actually, Christ found him. He found life that never ends. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul. What is more important to you than your life, your soul? What is worth rejecting Jesus to spend eternity separated from the one who made you and loves you and died for you? What is it worth? What people think about you? Is it worth you having your own way? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What's your soul worth? I'll tell you how much it's worth. It's worth God being born of a virgin, living the life you can never live, to go to the cross and die the death that you deserve to die. And he was buried and he rose again to show the value that you are made in the image of God and you are valuable to God so that he would die for you and for all who would turn from their sin and trust in Him alone. The purpose of the cross, it's a radical purpose that Paul is highlighting here. He says, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. This is radical. If you're trying to, let's come up with a religion for people to follow, you don't lead out under the banner of the electric chair. And Jesus Lift high the cross. The purpose of this cross is radical. Paul is saying your ethnic heritage, it doesn't count for or against you. Irfan and anyone else can go into those refugee camps from wherever people are from and whatever their heritage is and say it doesn't count for or against you. The Lord Jesus died for you. That's good news. We're all descendants of Adam. Adam. We're all fallen. We're all sinners. There really is only one race. There's different ethnicities, but there really is only one race. And we're in need of Christ. Paul is saying your religious deeds, your rebellious sins, come to Christ and they don't, they don't count for or against you. It don't matter. Jesus died for you. Well, look at what all I've done. Doesn't help you. Look at what all I've done. Hey, it doesn't prevent you from coming to the cross. This is radical. He's saying this. John 3 and verse 3, Jesus answering Nicodemus, that religious of religious individuals. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But, but Nicodemus could say to Jesus, but all I've done and I'm the teacher of the Jews and, and I've kept the law and I've kept this and I don't eat that. And Jesus saying, it doesn't matter. That doesn't wash away one sin. You must be born from above. You must be born again. You must have new birth. How does this happen? By the power of the cross, we can be forgiven. We can be redeemed on the basis of what Christ has done. And we can be adopted into a new and never-ending family. It's here locally and it's universal. We are the new Israel of God and we'll see that in the coming verse. So our right response, beloved, look closely at this letter. Listen carefully to what Paul is saying, these warnings. Lift exclusively up the cross of Christ and our last and fourth response is live. Live boldly in the grace of Christ. He's writing to them. He's he's doing what you, push them forward to encourage them on, to run on, to live. Boldly in the grace of Christ. It's through his grace that we receive blessing, and we also encounter suffering, and we receive sonship. Verse 16 says, And as for all who walk by this rule, okay, the rule is Jesus, it's Christ. All who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. So we as Christians, we will live under divine blessing. This is what Paul is saying. His prayer is conditional. He's not saying, so As this letter, you know, we have a little representation here would be read in the Galatian churches. Paul is really taking this letter and he's like dividing the group. He's putting a line in the sand and he's saying, who who is walking, trying to keep the law of Moses? And you're not, and you're failing. So now you just have to whitewash the outside and make people think you're all right. And who walks by the gospel? Who walks in Christ? And they can be honest about, I am a mess. And Jesus loves me. I have sinned against God and Jesus died and he has forgiven me and I'm adopted. You can run to the light with your sin and your shame because Jesus died for it, and there's nothing that can stick against you. As Satan accuses you to the Father, he doesn't even have to lie about you or me. But Jesus says, with every accusation paid in full, paid in full, paid in full, I died for that sin. They belong to us, Father, so we will defend them on the basis of the cross and the resurrection. Paul is dividing this line. It's a conditional blessing as for all who walk by this rule. If you say that backwards, some of you are not walking by this rule. Some of you are walking by your reputation and by what you have done and by what you don't do and all of that. But to those who walk in Christ, in the gospel, it's liberating. It's freeing. It's filled with grace, and that's how we receive peace and mercy. We, we follow the good shepherd, and, and there's peace. That means if there's peace, that means there was once enemy. There was once war, and now there's been peace, and we were at enmity, and how did we get this peace, and what did we do? Nothing. It was granted to us in mercy. Well, if you receive mercy, what does that imply? If someone shows you mercy, it means they didn't punish you. It means they could have punished you. They should have punished you. You had it coming to you, but you were shown mercy. Mercy and peace from Christ. We live under this divine blessing, and we are the true sons of Abraham, this Jews and its Gentiles who have, and these are the three areas, and they would have heard this in the Galatian churches, and we have to hear this in our church this morning, that How can I have this blessing? How can I live and have peace with God and receive mercy and grace? Here it is. A, you have to admit, I'm a sinner. You have to agree with scripture. All have sinned and missed the mark, fallen short. So there's no more, but I haven't done this, but I didn't do that. I'm not as bad as them. All of that is done with if you simply say, God, I'm the sinner. I have failed. I have missed the mark of holiness. The letter B, I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place, was buried and rose again. And I see, confess my sin to you. I'm not just admitting, yeah, I'm a sinner. Deal with it. No. I'm broken by my sin. When I see my Savior died because of me, I'm affected by that. And I confess Christ as Lord, as it says in Romans 10, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He will hear you just as Jesus heard and responded to the dying thief who admitted his sin and placed his faith and trust in Jesus. And Jesus said, Today you're with me in paradise. Pardoned, paid in full, debt cleared. And he rose from the dead. I'm just wondering. Has this happened in your life? Have you come to this place where you have embraced the emblem of shame, the cross? And you've admitted that you're a sinner. And you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing Him to be your only hope. And you've called upon Him, Lord, have mercy on me. Save me. Save me and he will. If this hasn't happened in your life, this is do not pass go, do not collect $200. This is don't get on to lunch and everything. This is it, you're alive. The opportunity for you to respond to the gospel is right here, right now. It's to tell God what's on your heart and trust him. Let me tell you, we may encounter times of suffering. That's what Paul continues with. We may encounter times of suffering. And Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. To come to faith in Christ, listen to me, let me be very clear, is not to say you won't have any more problems. You won't have any more troubles in your marriage. You won't have any more troubles with your relationships. Your job will go well. Everything will go well. You'll have an amazing life if you just pray and trust in the Lord Jesus. No, it's exactly the opposite. But it's worth it. Paul is here saying, listen, you want to know if it's authentic or not? From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Branding is very important. Some of of you are in or you know people who work in marketing. Branding. This is our brand. This is our image. This is our look. This is what we're going for and this is what we want people to identify and they see this with us and they want, we want them to know about our values as a company and, and this is who we are. We're branded. Paul is saying, let me show you my branding. My branding isn't what it used to be in Judaism and I did this and I didn't do that. My branding is and if he pulled off his robe and showed us his back, it's covered in scars He's using terminology that was used for slaves, that if there was a slave, they would have been branded either through picking on the skin. I, I remember something weird when I was, you know, a kid. There was, there was a, taking erasers, and people were taking erasers and burning on their skin. And I looked at that, I'm like, that hurts. It leaves a mark. Why would you do that? I, I never bought into that. There's kids my age right now somewhere like, man, that was stupid. What was I doing? Right? They're branded by number two, meat, you know, pencil, whatever. Like, what? That's, that's a great brand to be under. This is what it is. or a rancher and he takes the brand and he would mark. That's what they would do with slaves. They would brand them. And what Paul is saying is they're trying to brand you. They're trying to mark you. They're trying to set you apart as they belong to us and they're following all of our rules and they've got all these things and they look like us and now they act like us. And Paul is saying, let me show you my mark. It's actually in the plural, it's marks stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, left for dead. And he's embracing the suffering. He's not running from the suffering because he's looking to the one who suffered for us. And he says that I may know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, he writes to the Philippians. And he finds great joy in this. So he's saying, he's pleading with them. Will you please rise up with me instead of against me in these Galatian churches? His desire is for those who are genuine believers to stop causing him trouble. Okay, so he drew the line, walked by the rule. We're over here, we're with you, Paul. We're under the gospel. Then he's saying, Let me talk to you. Listen to me. Stop causing me trouble. Two ways. You're being silent when you should be speaking against those with a false message, those who are dividing the church. You need to use your voice and stop being silent in these things. Second way, you need to not use your voice to pick up their cause against me. Stop bringing their arguments. If it's not about the cross, then get on with it. Because how would we really stand by in so many churches, so many denominations who are taking to Twitter right now and just shredding each other over whatever. And there's a lost and dying world saying, what a joke. The cross is not a joke. But if we function Like we are what is to be lifted up and elevated and magnified and made much of because, whatever, fill in the blank, the cross becomes sidelined. The cross must be central. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he ends with a note of unity we're united into a spiritual family. The grace, he's right back to where he began this letter. He's back to grace, the grace of our full title here, Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is benediction. It's of grace. It's a Christ-centered life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling them to. The grace of our Lord. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. He came and he made us and he put us in a family together. So he uses that word, Philadelphia, brotherly love. I love you. That's the closest he gets to a compliment in this letter. I love you. Change your ways. Stop being silent and they're destroying the church. And stop telling me their arguments. Preach the cross. Lift up Jesus. Serve like Jesus would. How would you serve if Jesus walked in here today? What would I have to change in my message if Jesus was sitting on the front row and he is here? That's a little intimidating. Were it not for the truth that he loves me and he uses me as imperfect and broken as I am. And then he says, amen. Sign language, amen. That's about the one thing I remember of sign language. So be it, let it be. It's the one word, If you go to Africa, you end a prayer, amen. India, amen. It's translated Hebrew, amen. How do you say amen in Greek? Amen. It's the universal translated word, let it be. So when Paul writes this and he finishes and he writes the words, amen, let it be. Let everything that is in this letter that is of the spirit of God, let it be. Do you find the weight pressing on you and me? Wait a second, I thought I could still do my own thing. No, let it be. Amen. He wants to live. We're part of a family. This is where we learn to work out disagreements and we learn to sort through what really matters and what is a lesser thing and it, it ought not to occupy our time. It's really rooted and grounded in pride and we can let that go because we're, together at the foot of the cross. For us who are Christians in this place today, how do we live? Okay, we, we take all of these, we, we look, we listen, we lift, we live, right? His whole goal is that you live. Moses' dying message, that you live and not die. I want you to live in God's blessing. How do we respond? Hebrews chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2, I think, give to us this, this the, here's the direction of our lives. And if you listen to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, you don't get away from the cross. You have to go right back to the cross. Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, right? That's the whole point. So we've studied the whole letter of Galatians. Now what? Therefore. This comes down into our daily lives. There ought to be changes in all of our lives, changes in our thinking, changes in attitude, changes in what we do in every aspect of our lives. And then we come to the Lord's table and we're reminded through these elements This is real. This love is real. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. All right, so you hear this language. Let's run. Lay aside the weights, all the things that are pulling you away from being focused on worshiping the Lord and leading your families, then sort through all of that Cross the central, verse two. Here's where our focus is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the, what? Cross. Why? What was his attitude? Joy? Joy? The joy that was set before him, it's not talking about the cross, that he enjoyed the cross. What would the cross accomplish? The will of God, the payment of our debt, and the birth of a family made of Israelites and Gentiles that would be named by God. That is Jesus saying, I can't wait for you. This is Incredible. I love you. He endured the cross. Your sin, my sin, and what we struggle with, all of us. Shame. It's where we try to hide because we feel guilty. We don't want people to really know about what's really going on. And he's saying, I died for that despised the shame. What do they think about the cross? He embraced the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And Saul of Tarsus was there that day when Stephen died and Jesus was standing. Welcoming. Welcome home, Stephen. The first martyr of the church. Joy. Never-ending Joy. In the presence of God. How are we made fit for this? His body was broken, and his blood was shed, and he did it all for love. Have you received this gift of love? What's your next step? We all have a next step. What is it? Will you just bow your heads, close your eyes, the worship team to come. We're gonna sing together before we observe communion together. What is your next step? Father, by your spirit, will you show us what it is, how we should respond to the message of the cross, to the gospel of grace. I pray that anyone under the sound of my voice that has never turned from their sin and trusted in you, that today, through your word, they have seen the beauty of Christ and they trust in you. They will trust in you. For those of us who know you, Father, Remind us of your love. Cleanse us from our sin. And let us look to you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and run our race. We love you because you first loved us. So let us reflect on this love even now as we prepare our hearts to observe communion together. No doubt in the Galatian churches, they need to have some conversations. There were some people who needed to talk to others and straighten some things out. Repentance and restoration. It's probably true here this morning in our church. Whether it be between an individual and you, Lord, or between brothers and sisters in Christ. Holy Spirit, have liberty to work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, that Jesus may be magnified for we boast only in him.